Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Amen. Praise God. Let's thank Jesus for all he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence today. Your presence is so real, so palpable here, so strong, so gentle. We thank you, Lord, that you're opening our hearts to see Jesus today. That's why you came, Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to us, to show us his glory, to display his glory in our lives and through our lives, to make us like him to make us witnesses. We ask you to move in our hearts, touch our lives, and let us leave today more like Jesus in our way of thinking, in our lifestyle, in our witness than ever before. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have had a teenage daughter before that little girl had a driver's license, You know what it's like to haul friends all over the place. (laughs) And my wife, Christina, was taking a a young man, in fact, a a boy who was a friend, uh, back to his house. And uh, this young man is in the back of the car. And and Christina, you know, didn't bother punching the directions in because it's right in our town. She says, well, this kid will tell me where to go. So they get on the road, and she's looking for some guidance. And. She said, honey, where do I turn? Where do I go? And, and he kind of hem-haws around a little bit. And he's like, ah, uh, I don't know which way to turn. And, and I think it's this way. So they go down this road, and, and they're driving a little farther. And, okay, where now? Do you see? Does any of this look familiar? <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's up here. And long story short, this kid didn't even know how to get back home. And why? Well, come to find out, not surprisingly, as you can imagine, it was because he was always on his phone. He always had his eyes looking somewhere else. He was always looking down instead of looking up. He was always looking in instead of looking out. And he couldn't find his way home, and he couldn't help anybody else get home. It's easy for us old farts to get on the kids these young whippersnappers, and think that we're so far past any of that, and yet we are so distracted in our lives. Probably not a person in here that doesn't deal with distraction. In fact, this world has made it a goal, an objective, to keep us distracted, to keep us looking at the wrong things. You and I can fall right into that that same trap, We lower our gaze. We start looking away from the reality of our home in heaven. We start looking just at an earthly level. We've got our eyes down. We get our vision off of eternal things and back down onto earthly things where we're just looking at the ground under our feet and we're not seeing this big horizon, this big world that God made, that God called us to touch and to serve and to help. This world wants our eyes. Have you ever thought about it? How many things there are from day to day that are clamoring to get your eyes, to get your attention, to get your focus and mind. 
I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, Noah, you had to go looking for the news, right? You had to be there at 6 o'clock. It was, you know, Tom Brokaw or Dan Rather or somebody like that, you know. You had to turn it on at a certain time if you wanted to see it. You know, now it's breaking news every five minutes, Morris. Did you know that? It's like when, when I was a kid, it was breaking news. That was like somebody tried to shoot the president today. You know, now breaking news is what they told you 10 minutes ago when you were on the other network, you know. The world wants our eyes. This world demands our eyes. And to be honest with you, you know, I can slip into that just like anybody else. It's so easy to get my eyes filled with the bad news, you know. And I tend to have kind of an analytical mind. And before you know it, I'm trying to crunch all the scenarios and how we would ever get out of these situations. And, and man, it's just like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And how's this all going to end? And before you know it, it's feeling really dark and it's feeling really negative until I kind of snap out of it and I remember something that you and I all need to remind ourselves of every day. God has a plan. His plan is working. His plan includes me. It includes you. God's not surprised by any of this. It's like Billy Joel, was it Billy Joel said, we didn't start the fire? I mean, it's been burning. We didn't start this dumpster fire. We're trying to put it out. He said, I got to sing, we didn't start the fire. I don't know all that, that intro. I can't do the intro. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so true. This thing's been wrong for a long time. But you and I are part of the solution. Just like Pastor Andy was saying, you know, this salvation, it's not one and done. It's not an event. It's a process in our lives. God is saving us, and he's saving the whole world through us because of what Jesus did on the cross in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so we're part of the, we've been part of the problem, but now we get to be part of the answer as well. This world wants our eyes. Of course, our enemy wants our eyes. Sometimes when we think about Satan and what he's trying to do, we think about temptation to sin. We think about deception. But I think one of the subtle tools of the enemy is just simply distraction. Just simply distraction. He wants us to focus on winning arguments instead of winning hearts. He wants us to lock our eyes on issues instead of locking our eyes on individuals. He wants us to get our eyes on the wrong thing and fight for the wrong things. And so today we're going to talk about lifting up our eyes. Say that with me. Lift up my eyes. We're going to talk about lifting up our vision, lifting our perspective. We're going to talk about looking at the world around us from God's perspective because God has a plan. His plan is working and his plan includes us. Our text today is well known probably to all of us. Uh, we've all probably heard this story maybe many times, 
But what's amazing to me about the scripture is it doesn't matter how many times I've gone into that text, that passage, that story, the Holy Spirit somehow brings it out in a fresh way every time. And I believe he's going to do that today. Are you ready? We're going to go to John chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, go with me to John chapter 4. I want you to see this with me. We're going to see the story of a broken woman, a hurting woman, a thirsty woman that found herself, when she least expected it, face-to-face with Jesus Christ, face-to-face with the Messiah that she had been waiting for. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. The story of the woman at the well. We're going to see things that will help us today right where we are. In this passage, we're going to see and hear the words of Jesus to his disciples, yes, but also to us today. To lift up our eyes, to lift up our vision, and to see what God is doing in our world. So, John chapter 4, if you're there, verse 5, it says, Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. This is a historically important place. What's interesting about this Jacob's well is that it's a place that we know where it is today. Many of the sites in the Holy Land are disputed. We don't maybe know exactly where they are. Some scholars may say one thing, some another, but Jacob's well in Sychar, pretty much across the board, archaeologists agree where that is. It says a little further down that this well was deep. It's over 100 feet deep, which would have been an incredibly deep well at that time. Jesus is sitting by the well at verse 6. Jesus being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, high noon, the hottest part of the day. The sun, you can just imagine the sun beating down on him as he sat there. To someone looking from the outside, it probably didn't make any sense, but he was there for an appointment. His disciples, verse 8, had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, it says that suddenly this woman from Samaria comes to draw water. She says to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, a little bit of the history, the Jews and the Samaritans were about as bad as the Democrats and Republicans. Maybe worse, if you can believe that. I mean, it was serious. They had a lot of history, a lot of chafing between these two people groups, a lot of disagreements about how to worship and how to get things done right. And so that's what she's speaking from. And John tells us here at the end of verse 9, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And yet Jesus is there asking this woman for a drink of water. Jesus here offers us, a master class on evangelism, a master class. He starts out just with the common everyday things of life. What could be more common than a glass of water? Jesus meets her where she is, and he just engages her with something so simple, something so everyday. But she really is antagonistic. Uh, this woman is, 
you know, she can see this guy's a Jew. He probably had on some identifying garment that showed that he was a, a rabbi. It's very likely that that was the case. And so in verse 9, this woman just calls Jesus. It doesn't say it in the Greek, but basically it was like, you're just a dirty, stinking Jew. You're not just a Jew. You're the worst person on the face of this planet in her estimation. She was basically saying, I'm just here to get my water. Leave me alone. I don't want to deal with you. So Jesus has really got the deck stacked against him. What I love about Jesus is that he didn't give up. He persisted to love this woman. He persisted to seek her good, even when she was rejecting him in that way. Verse 12, it says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? And interestingly, in the Greek, the way this question is formed, it tells us that her answer was no. She was saying, you aren't greater than Jacob. There's no way you're greater than Jacob, our father. Verse 13, Jesus, undaunted, continues to talk to this woman about the the water of life. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. I think that there's people all around us that are drinking from water that leaves them thirsty. There's so many people in this world, they're thirsty and they don't know where to satisfy that thirst and they're just looking everywhere for something that'll satisfy them, something that'll take that thirst away. And there's nothing that can do it in this world. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him or her will become in him a fountain of water springing up, bursting forth into everlasting life. He's talking about something supernatural. We won't go there right now, but if we look a little bit further ahead in John chapter 7, As Jesus stands up right there in verse 37 through 39, I believe. As Jesus stands up in the great day of the feast in the temple. And he says, whoever thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being, out of his belly, out of his spirit, will burst forth, will spring forth rivers of living water. And then John tells us, This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this living water that Jesus is talking about. This living water that that satisfies these, these deep longings in people. Verse 15, we can hear her heart kind of soften for the first time. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Her heart has softened. Now Jesus isn't just a Jew, at least now he's sir. Now she's not just casting aspersions on his claim to be able to give her this water. Now she's saying, wow, maybe there's something to this. No one's ever spoken to me like this before. We know that this woman was a broken woman. She was searching 
She was searching for something. And the truth is, people around us every day, they're still searching. Right where you and I live, there's people searching every day for something that will satisfy that thirst on the inside. And nothing in this world can do it. Nothing in this world can do it. Only Jesus can do it. They're looking for something that will quench that thirst forever. And Jesus, verse 16, he, he tells her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband, verse 17. And then Jesus reveals truth about her situation. I don't think that Jesus was there to just zing her. I don't think he was there to just humiliate her or shame her or say, ha, ha, I caught you, I got you. He wasn't hooking her with, you know, like a worm on a hook just to watch her squirm. What he was doing was saying, I know your situation. Now, there's a false assumption that this woman was a highly immoral woman. Uh, many, many times she's pictured that way. She's preached that way. Uh, it's possible that that was the case, but it's more likely that that wasn't the case. If she was just a, a frivolous woman like she's often painted, she probably would have been stoned to death. More likely what happened is a combination of things. She may have had husbands that died and remarried. She may have had husbands that divorced her, very possibly because she was infertile. She couldn't have a, a child, couldn't produce an heir, which was a huge, huge value in that time. So we don't know all about this woman's situation, but what we do know is that this woman was broken. She was hurting. She had been rejected. She'd suffered terrible loss, and she was at the end of her rope, and she was just done with life. She didn't want to be with people. We know that she went at high noon to get water, which is the last time of the day that a woman typically would go out or a young person would go out to get water. It was hard work. And yet she went purposefully at the time when she didn't expect anybody to be there. And yet she found herself face to face with this man that would change everything. What did Jesus do? He exposes this deeper issue in her life. And verse 19, now Jesus is really moving up. Now she says, I perceive you are a prophet. So now he's really moving up in her esteem. What did she do then? This woman did what so many people do today. When, when that work of God begins... Maybe it's just too uncomfortable. It's too intimate. It's too heavy. So often people, they just start to kind of wriggle in their seat. What did she do? She wanted to turn it back to religion and politics. So many times. She wanted to get the spotlight off of her situation and just talk about generalities. And so verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus gives us this beautiful passage. We'll skip down to verse 24. Jesus declares to her, basically, it's not about where you worship. It's not about here or there. It's not about our way or your way. It's about worshiping God from the inside. 
in spirit and in truth. Verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, this woman, now she's finally got it. She's getting to the heart of the matter. Verse 25, she says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. That's the Savior. That's the Christ, the Redeemer. When he comes, he will tell us all things or he will disclose all things to us. Jesus said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. What's so awesome, if we look back at chapter 3, if you look at the, that later on today, Jesus has this encounter with Nicodemus, and he was the total opposite of this woman. He was a man, she was a woman, he was rich, she was poor. He was on the in crowd, she was rejected. He was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, he was educated, she probably had very little, if any, education. And yet Jesus didn't reveal himself as Christ to Nicodemus, but he did reveal himself to this humble woman. Well, she runs back into the city, and she starts calling the people and saying, come and see this man that told me everything I ever did. Could he really be the Christ? Well, meanwhile, the disciples are back from McDonald's, and they're, uh, oh, I forgot, that's a cuss word in this church. Uh, so they're back with the bagels and locks. And they're, they're making their way. And you can almost imagine that this woman, she's running back to the city right as they're coming out. I mean, I'm sure they cross paths on the way. And the disciples say, hey, Rabbi, eat. We've brought you the food. That's what you sent us for. And, and of course, Jesus, as he always does, confuses them with an enigmatic statement. He loved to do that. And he says, I've got food to eat you don't even know about. And they're, they're scratching their heads. They're, you know, so much like us clueless about what Jesus is actually trying to do, what he means. And they, they're asking each other. It says they continued to ask one another, did somebody bring him something to eat? They're confused. And then finally Jesus clarifies it for them. And, and this is really the, the heart of what I wanted to bring today. The lesson for us is the lesson for them. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then the harvest? So basically, there's no urgency. Don't even worry about it. we got plenty of time. But then Jesus says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. They're already ready to be harvested. So our lesson for today is let's lift up our eyes. Let's look at the fields. They're ready now. The harvest is ready now. Just like a good Baptist preacher, I've got three points. I've got just enough time to get you these points. This is what you're paying for, so I've got to get this to you. Uh, Point number one, verse 35, we just read it. The harvest is ready now. The harvest of this world, the harvest... Of humanity. It's ready now. The time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not way down the road. It's happening now. It was happening when Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago. How much more today? Jesus drives us point home with three vision words. He says, Behold. He says, Lift up your eyes. And he says, Look at the fields. He's trying to get your attention. That Greek word for look at is theasaste. Let's try saying that 10 times fast. 
What does it mean? It means have an intent look. This is from the Greek English lexicon, so a good source. To have an intent look at something, to take something in with one's eyes, with the implication that one is especially impressed. Basically what he's saying is, take a look, I want you to notice something. I want you to make a deduction. I want you to draw something, draw a conclusion out of what you're going to see. He says, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. And you can just imagine as he says it, that the people of the city following this woman are just pouring out of the city on their way to meet him, on their way to find out who he really is. The harvest is ready now. The people that God places on your path are ready now. It's not an accident. The people you work with, that crotchety old neighbor you have, your in-laws, that you know, it's everything you can do maybe to get through Christmas and Thanksgiving, but it's not an accident. God put those people in your life so you could be a witness to them. So you could show them. Uh, it's, you know, to be honest, it's never been easier to be a witness in the United States than it is right now. You might say, well, I, I, I think it's hard to be a Christian. No, it's easy to be a witness because if you just live by the principles of Jesus, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Your life, your family is going to be salient. It's going to jump right off the page at the people. The harvest is ready now. The second thing we see is verse 36. The harvest is rewarded in the future. There's a reward. Verse 36, let's look at what Jesus says. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Rejoice together is Greek word hamu. It means to rejoice together or even to rejoice in the same way, in the same manner. What would happen if you rejoiced as much when you sow the gospel as when you actually led someone to Christ? You know, for, for most of us, leading, some, leading someone to Christ, I mean, that's like, you're on cloud nine. It's so exciting to see someone that, that didn't know who Jesus was and suddenly because of your influence They've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. They're part of the church now. They're baptized. They're going through all of this. That's exciting. But Jesus is saying that if we understand God's plan, we can rejoice just as much when we sow the seed as if we are the one who gets to do the harvest. We can rejoice in the same way. It's rewarded. There's a reward. He says, he who reaps receives wages or receives a reward. Miston. That's why this church gives to missions. That's why you're reaching out to the community. That's why you're living as a witness of Jesus Christ every day. That's why what you do today matters for eternity. Because there's a reward. It doesn't end here. There's a reward coming for those who love Jesus and love people in his name. And then finally, the third thing we see, the harvest is rooted in the past. The harvest is rooted in the past. It's rooted in the past labors of other people, people that have prepared the way for us. You know, we could look at the Bible, the story of Abraham being called and God choosing his descendants as a special people and God promising to bring a king that would reign forever and ever through David's line. And we see this whole 
process, all that's happening that leads us up to finally this moment that Jesus was living, where he arrived on the scene as the Savior of the world. And you and I, in the same way, we're not just out there on our own. We're building on something that's rooted in the past. It's ready now, and it's rewarded in the future. So I want to encourage us today to lift up our eyes, to look beyond just life as, as, as we see it humanly, to look beyond the distractions that try to get our attention. You know, maybe you're asking, well, how, how could this all apply to me? What's, what is it that I, I could do, you know? And the Holy Spirit speaking to each of us. I believe that. But maybe for you, and, and Kristen was preaching my sermon earlier. She didn't even know it. Maybe it's laying aside distractions. Maybe it's letting the Holy Spirit show you where the noise is in your life, where the noise is in your head that is demanding your eyes, it's demanding your ears, it's demanding your focus. Sometimes we're just so used to being hyped up on activity. We start to get nervous when we're quiet. But I'd encourage you to push through that because you'll find Jesus there speaking to you. You'll find the Spirit of God working in you in quiet places, in desert places. That's the picture we see in the Bible. Jesus went to deserted places. And that's where God would reveal himself and, and just work in him, in his humanity. Maybe instead of starting the day with the news blaring, 24-hour news, the bad news, maybe, maybe you need to get back to starting your day with the good news. Something so simple, so foundational, and yet so many of us, we wake up and before we're even out of bed, that stupid demon is right in our hand. I'm talking to myself too, you know. Maybe it's getting more in the book, getting in the good news. Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, Zig Ziglar, I love that guy. Uh, he used to say, I, I read, I can't do his voice, but it's such a cool voice. I wish I could. But he said, he said, I start every day, I read the Bible and I read the newspaper because I want to know what both sides are doing. <laughs> and that's about it. But start with the good news. Maybe there's a specific person in your life that's marginalized, like this woman at the well. We've got marginalized people in our society today. You know, maybe our goal isn't to win the argument, to prove that our position is the right one or prove that our ethic is the correct one. I'm not denying that there's biblical standards, but what I am saying is let's hold, not just hold our principles, let's hold the person. Let's not just fight for issues. Let's fight for individuals. Let's love people. I heard a beautiful testimony of a pastor. This will be my first closing. Um, he had a man come into his church, and this guy was uh, there for a while, and finally he set up an appointment with the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I, I like you. I like your preaching. I like the church. I want to be a member, but you've got to know. You just have to understand 
I'm a homosexual and you have to accept me like that. You, you have to accept this lifestyle. And he was kind of almost angry and defensive right out of the gate. And the pastor started to really, he said, well, tell me more about your life. Tell me about your faith and your background. And wanted to get to know him a little bit more. And, and the guy was right back at him. He's, you know, you've got to accept me. I'm homosexual. You've got to accept this lifestyle. You have to accept it. And the pastor, he's like, well, we'll get to that. Just tell me about you. Tell me about whatever his name was. Tell me about yourself. And the guy proceeded to unroll this whole, just a tragic story of so much pain and abuse and brokenness. And the man finally got up to leave, and he was kind of red-faced and flushed. He looked like he was about to cry. And this pastor said, I'm sorry if, if I've offended you in any way. And he said, no, you, you haven't offended me. He said, I've been to so many churches. I've been to every kind of church you can think of. And he said, either one of two things happens. They either tell me, and I'm, I'm just going to say it like the guy said it. He, he said, they either tell me, get the hell out of here. We don't have fags in our church. Or they tell me, oh, don't worry about it. We, you can live any way you want here. And this man, even though he was in that lifestyle, he knew that it, it didn't quite line up, but he didn't know what to do. And I think that this pastor is an example of someone that didn't change what the, what the body of Christ, what the church has always taught, and yet he loved that man right where he was and wouldn't let him go. And that man ended up becoming a Christian and was in that church for many years. So God can help us to reach marginalized people. Maybe... Maybe instead of grumbling about the immigrants pouring over the border, you need to learn Spanish so you're ready to minister to them when they show up. Maybe instead of, now did I, oh, I've gone too far now. Did you already take up the offering? <laughs> no, but seriously. You know, these issues, I'm not saying we don't deal with them politically, legislatively, security-wise. That's all fine and well, but as Christians, as Christians, we dare not leave it simply at that level. Lost people can do all that. Lost people can, can go to the border with a gun and make sure that nobody gets over the wall. That's not solving the problem. The church is what can bring the answer. You and I as believers can bring the answer. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's lift up our vision. Maybe the Holy Spirit's asking you to, to start uh, supporting missions, supporting your local church, to really line up with this idea that there is eternity. There is, there is something to live for beyond just this life. So I don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing in you, but I just I want to pray for us today as I close. And just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to our hearts right where we are. So let's do that today. Let's stand to our feet together. Let's bow our heads and, and just pray together. I'd like to pray with you and pray for you. Father, you've touched our hearts today. You've called us to be witnesses. We see so many people in our lives just like this woman at the well. They're at the end of their rope. 
They've been rejected. They've been broken. They've been hurt so many times that they've given up hope. But you have not given up on them. You come to them. You're making an appointment with them and meeting with them and drawing them in. And you're using us to do it today. Jesus, you said the harvest is ready now. There's a reward. We want to work with you. We want to be fishers of people. We want to be harvesters and work in your field. Jesus, you said the seed is the word of God and the field is the world. We believe it. We want to work with you in this eternal work. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us lift our eyes. Let us see the fields. Look at the fields around us every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.